Freedom. Okay. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's really exciting to be up here. It's also really scary in some ways. Um, but, you know, Pastor Wilson and Pastor Dave are not here, and so they've given me, given me the opportunity to be able to share with you this morning. So, I can't see the slides. Oh, so this morning, uh, the sermon's titled Sin in the Life of a Saint. I know that we've been going through this series of uh, David's life and looking at where, he at, where he's at. And uh, this morning, it's supposed to be 2 Samuel, if you're like taking notes on the verses. It's 2 Samuel verses 11, 1 to 12, 25. So if you're at small groups and you had to read like a lot of scripture, you're welcome. Um, but anyways, before we start, uh, I'd like to start us off with a question. So if I could get the next slide. <clears throat> All right, so we like to start off with questions and we like to have these questions be super intense. So th this morning's question, uh, if you could pair off in maybe groups of twos or threes, uh, talk with someone, share with someone about when was the last time that you hid something from someone? What did you hide and what made you want to hide it from that person? So get comfortable, everyone. Uh, give you guys a few minutes to do that. Cap it there. Uh, I know there wasn't like a ton of time, but there's also a ton to get through this morning. So yeah. Um, but anyways, for me, uh, I'm going to wait. OK, so for me this morning, uh, I'm going to answer this question later on in the sermon. Uh, hopefully, you guys are able to share some really deep and gray secrets with one another. Uh, but before we start reading the scripture, uh, I'd like to just start off with some prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for your word to us this morning. And I just pray that as we get into the text, as we look at the life of David, as we look at the darker side of uh, someone that we all really respect and admire as a Bible character, uh, that we would see that there's still something for us in it, that it's not just a story about someone else, but you're talking to us this morning. And so I pray that uh, as I preach that you would bless um, the words coming out of my mouth, that I would speak as you will me to speak, um, and that your will would be done this morning. So I pray for the church uh, this morning. I pray for your word to be open to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so this morning uh, there's actually uh, a ton to get through, and I'm going to try to talk really fast, but really concisely, so that you guys get the main points. Um, I know that we've been going, so we've been going through a series of, Dave, of David's life, and a lot of the time we've been going through uh, the valleys in his life. Uh, we've been seeing, actually, I think in the past few weeks, how the valleys are kind of supposed to be the mountains of our spiritual lives, right? When we're low, that's the t those are the times when we're able to encounter God. But this morning, uh, we're going to change... Oh, man, it's a bad phrase there. Uh, we're going to shift perspective um, and uh, start with some background, but we're going to be going from the top down now. Uh, we're going to be looking at the life of David when he's on the mountaintop um, and see if he's able to stay up there. So some background, because uh, we do skip a ton of scripture before this morning's passage. Um, David is living at his spiritual height. He's kind of what we would call at the mountaintop. Uh, he just kind of meets with Nathan, the prophet, and he's like, hey, Nathan, like, I think it'd be really cool if we built God a house. And Nathan says, do all that's in your heart. Um, and God says, 
Um, you know, this is the first time since the people have left Egypt that someone's wanted to do something like this for me. And so David hears this, and he's probably like, oh, yeah, like, I'm, I am the holiest man. Um, I'm the leader of Israel. Like, I'm the spiritual, like, I'm the master of being spiritual. And so he hears this, and he's feeling pretty good. Uh, he wants to honor his relationship with Jonathan, so he goes and finds Mephibosheth, which, who's someone in Jonathan's line, and he gives him a seat at the table, so he makes sure to do good on that. Um, and it seems like the war against the Ammonites is going really well. Uh, David is pretty much doing all of the things that he needs to do uh, as the king of Israel. He's the spiritual leader because he has this vision to build God a house. He's doing well in his personal relationships uh, because he's brought Jonathan to the table, or Jonathan's line to the table. Uh, and, you know, kingdom-wise, he's, he's dominating the neighboring countries. But when we think about being on the mountaintop in our own lives, obviously we're not going to be conquering, right? Like none of us is a lord or a king. We don't have to worry about like how many horses should I send out to battle? We don't have to worry about those kinds of things. But we do have mountaintops still, right? A lot of times they come off retreats. I know that this past young adult retreat, uh, I would say we were at a mountaintop, both literally and spiritually. Um, and I think that for us, after talking about Valley so much, um, we might be kind of hungry for the mountaintop. We might think that, when are we finally going to see all that there's to see at the top? Uh, but I think that in today's passage, we'll see that the mountaintop is not the greatest place to be. Um, even though in the valleys, we might kind of moan and weep and hide in our beds. Uh, when we get out from under the covers and go encounter the world, we see that God has a lot of richness in store for us. But we're at the mountaintop, um, we see something different. Um, I know some of us are like super outdoorsy. Uh, we like to go and hike and do all this stuff. Uh, when, I don't know if anyone's ever hiked like to the mountaintop, but it's nice, right? Like you, you get there, you labor for miles and miles, you sweat and you complain until you get to the top. And when you're there, it, it's, we kind of, we're stunned for a bit, right? It's, we, we look out at the scenery, we look down from where we came from, and we think like, oh wow, like this is pretty amazing. We, we take our photos for Instagram, and then we start to think about the way back, right? And that is, it's striking. Like, we should love to see that view. We shouldn't ever want to go back home. But the thing about being on mountaintops is that no matter how high we get, uh, there's still something that we desire more. We desire to be comfortable, right? And so that'll get us into this morning's text, um, and it's going to be super long. So let's see what it says. Second uh, Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 to 5. Uh, I'll just read it. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. So... That's what we're going to start with. Uh, we're going to start this morning with David's adultery. Uh, it's a really hard passage to read, and 
I think in reading it this, this week, like, it just made me depressed. Uh, like, I, I was seeing David, who's supposed to be the spiritual hero of ours, uh, fall into really bad sin. And I think this morning, um, the message is going to be primarily focused on um, kind of sin and, and kind of like what happens with it, how do we respond, who does it affect. So the first uh, red flag that we see right off the bat from the passage is that David doesn't go out to battle with the army, right? Um, it's springtime. The weather conditions are pretty nice. Uh, usually, like that's why I says the, that this is the time when the kings go out to battle because you know it's not cold, it's not too hot. There's no chance of heat stroke. There's no chance of frostbite. Like it's perfect warring season, right? Uh, if you're into that kind of stuff. And David uh, decides just to hang back, right? It says David stayed at Jerusalem, and so this is going to be our first red flag as we enter into exploring the question: How does sin enter in? Boom. So this morning we're going to be looking at uh, nine relationships, which is why I'm going to try and talk a little quickly, because nine is a lot, but it's a, it's a trinity of trinities, so it's going to be a holy message this morning, hopefully. Uh, but the first relationship is going to be David and himself. Um, yeah. Uh, when he's staying back at Jerusalem, this is not something that's in his character, right? David's made his name off of being with the people of Israel. He's made his name off of going to war and being this amazing king, right? David slain his tens of thousands. Um, and yet, this, this, this thing he does in staying at Jerusalem without his men, without all of Israel who gets sent, um, is inconsistent with his character, right? Um, I, think, I think about our own lives when we're on that spiritual mountain, right? We're coming off a spiritual high after retreat. We're thinking like, okay, like I left all those sins that, were, that I was wrestling with behind me, right? This is going to be the time that I finally move on from those sins. Um, and so we start to read our Bible, we pray, we start to serve maybe, and, and we think that all of this is going to, you know, like save us or something. Um, but maybe there's that one day when you don't wake up and pray, when you don't read the, when you don't open the Bible. Um, that, I think a lot of times in our experience, that's when the sin comes back, right? It's when our consistent holy habits uh, cease to be consistent. And so the first red flag is um, how does sin enter in? It's this relationship that David has privately, right? In his private life, he is not kind of allowing for a life of holiness. And so, yeah, David decides to stay comfortable at home. He doesn't decide to go to war, and he separates himself from his community. So that's the first relationship. Um, the second relationship is going to be David and his messengers. So, yeah, in verses 3 to the first half of verse 4, we see that David sends these messengers to inquire about Bathsheba, right? He's by himself. He's walking around, not at sleep like he should be, and he sees this, like, mysterious, like, beautiful bathing woman, right? And uh, rather than go back to bed, like, immediately... He's like, oh, let me do a little, like, inquiry. Uh, and so he sends his messengers. Um, and so this would be the second red flag, is the sending of the messengers. And what does that look like for us today? I think that for us, the, the, the easiest thing to point to would be social media. Uh, how many times is it that we find ourselves scrolling through social media and we see someone that's attractive or we see something that attracts us, uh, whether it's an item or something, uh, and we, we pause a little too long, right? Like we, we, we stop like David does uh, on the rooftop and we stare, right? I think social media, uh, our messengers, our Instagram, their Facebook, 
I mean, all of us now are familiar with Facebook stalking, right? Social media stalking in general has become normalized. That's us sending our messengers to inquire, right? Uh, we, we, we tap on the photo to look at the tags. We look through the comments to see if we can find a name or a handle or an account to follow and to find more, right? And that's the way these kinds of things happen. Um, we sometimes say that curiosity killed the cat, and if it wasn't for the mercy of God, uh, curiosity would kill the king. And so um, I think for us, when, when we think about these messengers, um, I think it slips in, right? And it gives, it, it describes the nature of sin in our lives. It's, it's this kind of insidious, obsessive, addictive thing. Uh, right when David sees Bathsheba, he should have just gone back to bed and like, kind of like hid, right? That would have been the holy thing to do. But instead, he, he sends his messengers. He goes on like very old biblical Instagram and he, he asks about this person, this, this woman, right? And so, you know, we might think here like, oh, okay, like this is gonna be a sermon about lust or sexual addiction or purity. And yeah, like I hope it is a sermon about those things. But I also think that this pattern of behavior extends to all sins, right? Uh, like for me, um, I think like my parents kind of know, my mom's here today. Uh, I've got like a little bit of a shopping issue and Instagram does not help this. Uh, at the beginning of Instagram, if you were you know, hip enough to be there on Instagram, uh, it was ad free, right? Uh, all you had was your friends and I think the algorithm was chronological, now it's not and everything's changed and they've added ads. And I think for me lately, Instagram, the draw to it hasn't been looking at the other people's posts. I think actually that's gotten really exhausting for me. Um, but Instagram's draw for me now is that they have amazing ads on Instagram. Like I find myself wanting things that I've never even thought to want before Instagram, right? I go on, I think it started uh, with HelloFresh uh, when I was like two years back. HelloFresh was starting, and uh, I was like, oh man, that looks amazing. Like, I don't need to cook. I can just have someone else cook for me, and then I'll just like warm it up, and I'll be good to go. Uh, and then after HelloFresh, you know, like lately, it's been bike helmets, uh, Surface 2 laptop, Timbuktu backpacks. Uh, I don't know what kind of ads you guys are getting. I just like scrolled down my Instagram to like look at the ads to use for this sermon. And so they're targeting a graduate student, obviously. Um, but how much of our sin is encouraged by social media, right? Like, I think... Uh, I know the Catholics have like their categories of, of sin, right? The seven deadly sins is what they call it. Um, and I think that all of them can find their way into social media or, or YouTube or whatever. Um, they find their way into being our messengers, right? Um, I think that if you think envy is a sin, I mean, it is a sin. Uh, we, we go on Instagram, that's clearly an example. We see like, oh, this person's doing this really cool thing. I wish that you know, I would be doing that thing. Or you look at someone's Snapchat and you're like, oh, like that looks like a lot of fun. Like I wish I was invited. Um, greed obviously is the shopping one. All of these things, right? Um, I think David feeds into his sin by sending the messengers. And so um, by in doing so, he feeds this addictive nature. It doesn't get better when he sends messengers. It's not like, oh, this is Bathsheba, wife of Uriah the Hittite who serves you loyally. And David's like, oh, okay, nice. Uh, I'm not gonna pursue that. No, actually, it gets worse, right? Once he heard that um, Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah, he should have stopped, but he doesn't. And so the third point of where sin enters in is in this relationship between David and Bathsheba. And this relationship signifies the action of sin, right? 
the first red flag or the first relationship David himself, that's the inconsistencies in our holy patterns of life, um, in the patterns that bring us into relationship with God. The second uh, relationship is our feeding, our curiosity, our kind of temptation, right? And the third relationship, David and Bathsheba, is the completion of the action of sin, right? So in the text, uh, we see that after they sleep together, Bathsheba goes home, she cleanses, she cleans herself, and then she finds out that she's pregnant. And so, of course, she tells David, right? Like, it's not, this is kind of, a, it's not something you really hide from someone because you can't after a few months. And so, because there's going to be physical evidence of David's adultery with Bathsheba, he starts to get very concerned, right? Um, I'm going to pause here real quick. Some commentaries say that, like, Bathsheba is at fault in David's sin, that, oh, she shouldn't have been bathing out in the open. Oh, like, uh, she knew what she was doing. She was tempting David. But I want to ask against that, like, when did it become okay for us to blame other people for us acting on our sin, right? Uh, this isn't about Bathsheba. Uh, what it is is about David looking, sending messengers, and sleeping with Bathsheba, um, if we, if we want to blame Bathsheba in this situation, uh, we kind of just go back to Genesis where Adam just plays the blame game and says, well, God, like, it was this woman that you gave me. Like, you're, she's the one at fault, right? When Adam has his responsibility in eating of the fruit. And so um, culturally, Bathsheba also is at like a disadvantage and I don't think that she should be uh, blamed for David's sin. I think that Bathsheba is the wife of a soldier who's loyal to the king. Um, if the king makes advances on you in this culture, like it's pretty much a done deal. Like you don't really get to have a say in this kind of stuff. And so I would say that for us, uh, David and Bathsheba is our relationship between ourselves and the sins that we end up acting on. So whether that's Sending someone a DM that you shouldn't send, whether that's buying something at the checkout that you, like pressing that checkout button when you're done online shopping, um, all of these things, that would be the completion of sin. And so, uh, Pastor Dave preached a few weeks ago about how the private life goes into the public life, and this is, this is the point when David's private life gets into his public life, right? Uh, his, his, he thought that he could get away with sleeping with Bathsheba and be fine. But because of the nature of pregnancy and like how it changes your physical form, uh, this sin is going to be brought out into public. And so we've kind of covered the stages now of how sin enters in, and I'd like to uh, start to think about relationship. I know that we like to throw around the word relationship. Uh, it's like our Christian buzzword. Like uh, anytime you want to say something profound, just like add relationship to it, right? Like, Oh, like, if, if you are at odds with, the, with someone else, like, you just need to have a deeper relationship. Or uh, you need to get a relationship with God, or we need to work on our relationship. And sometimes we even share that as our prayer request, right? Like, oh, pray for me and my relationship with God. And it sounds super nice, right? It sounds like, oh, man, like, this person's so holy. He wants to work on his relationship with God. But, like, it's not specific enough, as it were. Uh, I think that it's something that we can be tempted to hide behind. But it's also something that's reasonably, like, cliche, I guess. Um, God made us to be relational beings. And so um, sometimes it's not enough. And for David, it's not enough to think about his relationships or his, his internal sin. He needs to see his relationship with someone else um, to really feel how deep the sin is. And so we're going to start asking about this question, 
uh, who does our sin affect? Who does sin affect, yeah. So the first relationship, obviously, is going to be David and Uriah. Uh, Uriah is this soldier uh, that serves in David's army, and he's also Bathsheba's husband. Um, what happens to him is absolutely tragic. Uh, he, his wife commits adultery, or David commits adultery with his wife, and uh, eventually David sends him to the front lines to be killed. And so 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 11, verses 6 to 11 say, Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people and the state of the war. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and a present from the king was sent out after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. Now when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. And so I think there's two major sins this morning with David. The first sin is obviously committing adultery with Bathsheba. But the second sin, I think, is the far more destructive one. It's the sin of hiding it. It's, it's, it's hiding his sin. Uh, when we sin, we often, well, hopefully, when we sin, we come to this point of wanting to hide it, especially with the really bad ones, right? Um, I think that it's in our blood to do so. Think about Adam and Eve in Genesis, how they sinned by disobeying what God said, and then their first desire was to hide because they were naked, right? Um, I sometimes wonder about what would happen if Adam and Eve just came to God and confessed, like, God, like, we ate from the tree that you said not to eat from, and we're sorry. But instead, they, they played, Adam played the blame game, and um, that was the fall. When it comes to David, the sin that he commits to cover uh, his first sin of sleeping with Bathsheba is, uh, it ends up taking Uriah's life. And so Uriah is this super loyal soldier. Uh, he, he's basically the best soldier ever. He doesn't go home to be with his wife and family and be comfortable. Instead, he stays at David's doorstep, ready to serve his king, right? And this is the person that David sins against. Um, David tries to be extra nice to him, tries to get him to take a load off, tells him to wash his feet, which is like, uh, I guess that's an encouraging thing for them back in the day. It's just like, get comfortable, right? Um, and he even sends a present after Uriah when he tells him to go home. And this is like very childish of David to do. I think as kids, when we sin against, I mean like as kids, it's hard to think about like really serious sins. But at least for me as a kid, I know that if I ever like got in a fight with uh, my cousin or whatever, like I would try really hard to like be nice to him or like give him stuff so that he wouldn't tell my parents because my parents would just destroy me um, for that. And so I think that this is what David's doing, right? He's trying to compensate for it implicitly by sending him gifts, by treating him nicely, by telling him to go home, take a load off, giving him a break from the war. But Uriah is, is too good. Uh, he's too good of a man to, to do that, and instead he desires to follow his king. And so even though, this is, even though David's sin at first is uh, sleeping with Bathsheba, uh, the corrupting, destructive nature of sin causes him to do something even worse um, to Uriah. Uh, and so we see in the next relationship uh, with David and Joab, yeah, 
we, we find that our sin pulls people in and it allows those people to have a hold on us, right? So what happens after this is David basically sends Uriah with a letter to Joab saying, send Uriah to the front of the battle and then pull back when you guys make it to the front so that the enemy, so that the Ammonites can kill him. Uh, which if, if you think about who David is supposed to be to us, like that doesn't sound like something he would do, but this is the, the way that sin corrupts us, right? So Joab gets dragged into it. He's the captain of the army. He has to do what the king says. Um, he probably doesn't want to do this to Uriah, right? He knows most likely uh, the, the nature of Uriah, what his character is like, um, and he doesn't want to do this to him. But when we're, I think the, the sin that most easily connects to this is the sin of gossip. I think that a lot of times, like, sometimes we gossip with people one-on-one, um, but other times we're, we're in group settings and we gossip about people, right? We say, oh, this person, uh, they say they do this, but they don't really. This person uh, did this and that to me. Um, and sometimes, like, there's another person that's willing to hear it, and then there's the group of people that get dragged into that, right? And I think that as David tries to um, hide his sin, he drags Joab into this, and he gives Joab something uh, to hold against him, right? Uh, they go to war. Joab does as David says. He sends Uriah to the front, and Uriah dies, right, along with other men. So, jo- so Davidson also kills other people, um, And then he tells the messenger to send back the battle report, like, oh, like, we went too close, and then, like, some people died. Uh, And if if David gets angry, just tell him, oh, Uriah died also. And so somehow that's supposed to make things better? Like, that sounds worse. But for David, because he's so deep in his sin at this point, he's so wanting to hide his sin, he gets to this point of, of saying something pretty ridiculous. In verse 25 of chapter 11, he says, uh, to tell the messenger to, to tell Joab, do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Make your battle against the city stronger and overthrow it, and so encourage him. And so not only does David's sin wedge deeper uh, in his heart, something uh, very dark, um, but he also models that for Joab, right? Uh, when Joab is supposed to feel really guilty, he's supposed to be accountable for the lives of his men. Um, David is teaching him, hey, you know what? It's just part of war. Like, there's, there's nothing you need to worry about. It's all good now. Because David's only focused on covering his own skin uh, on account of his sin. And so when we, when we sin against others, there are certain sins and, and times when our sin puts us at the mercy of others when it shouldn't. There are times when our sin hardens our hearts when it shouldn't. And this is what happens with um, David and Joab. And so the final relationship is going to be David and Bathsheba's son. Uh, This is a pretty grim story. Uh, Uriah is not the only one that ends up dead on account of his sin. Um, Nathan the prophet comes to David and he tells him a story. And eventually ends up convicting him. I'll go more into the story in a bit. Um, But David gets convicted of it and he, he repents but God still says, your son is going to die, right? Uh, and so not only does our sin directly affect others, but it, has an, it influences our future, right? Uh, when we sin, we think that, oh, forgiveness is all we need, and it'll be good. Like, if I sinned against someone, 
I'll just pray to God for forgiveness. And whatever lies I told about that person, whatever gossip I told about that person, it'll be like it never happened. They'll just end up being like, oh, like I didn't know that you gossiped about me. Oh, huh? that's like, that's so good. Um, and, and things will be fine. But that's not the way that sin works, right? Sin affects our future. And so David and Bathsheba's son um, is a direct result of that. Um, this is something that we don't like to think about too often because we want to say that sin ends, uh, the effects of sin end when we, when we pray for forgiveness, when we ask to reconcile. Uh, but that's, that's mainly our relationship between God, right? David says in the Psalms, against you and you alone, O God, I have sinned. Um, but it doesn't take care of the fact that he still killed Uriah, he still killed the other soldiers, he told Joab it was fine, um, and he's hiding this adultery with Bathsheba, right? And so now we're at this point when uh, we've kind of covered all of uh, how does sin get in and who does sin affect, right? And so I think that's enough for me to share a little bit in my own life. Um, so if I can get the next slide. That's a picture of me and, and Luke uh, as a good friend from college. Uh, I don't know how clear that picture is, but if you look at it, like I am in like a way better shape in that picture than I am right now. And I think that, oh, I think that for me, um, I know that this story is about lust primarily, but something that I've really wrestled with, like pretty much my whole life, uh, is this kind of sin of gluttony, right? Like, uh, I overeat whenever I get stressed, and I overeat um, just to overeat sometimes. And uh, there's one particular, um, like, night I remember. I was, like, coming home from Tiff's house, and then every time I come home, I, like, pass by a 7-Eleven, and so I always give it, like, a long look. Like, I'm driving by, and it's like, oh, look at that 7-Eleven. There's probably, like, a, amazing things to eat in there. Probably not. It's, like, gas station food. But still, it's good for if you want to overeat. Um, and so this one night, I decide to stop. I pull over. This is my messenger, right? 7-Eleven is my messenger. Um, I pull over. I walk in. Uh, I, I look at, like, the little rotating rack of, like, taquitos and hot dogs, and I, like, buy, like, all of it, basically. Uh, and then I go home and, you know, I eat it, right? Uh, and I don't tell, you know, Tiff about any of this because I'm hiding it, right? I'm, I'm, I was deeply ashamed of uh, the fact that I was hiding my eating or that I was, that I was eating so late at night and eating, like, really poorly. Um, and I think that, like, the next morning, like, Tiff came over and, like, I didn't clean up the evidence. So she saw, like, all this, like, 7-Eleven, like, hot dog boxes and, like, wrappers and I was like, oh, I am in trouble. Um, but what my, my, what my sin does, it affects more than me, right? I think that, for me, obviously, it affects my health. Like, I can't be eating at 7-Eleven at 12 a.m. all the time. Uh, I have other messengers. Like, I have on YouTube, there's this competitive eater named Matt Stoney. I don't know if you guys are familiar. He's amazing. And he eats lots of food, and he inspires me to eat food that I shouldn't eat. Uh, but he's a messenger. Every time I watch his videos, I just want to snack, right? Um, and, and, and this private life sin, it starts to manifest itself publicly, right? Uh, like in that picture that I'm wearing a size medium jacket, like no problem, you know? Uh, right now, like this shirt's a large, and on a bad day, like I start to feel like, oh, this shirt's not fitting quite right. Um, I think that for me, like it, it's... It, it, on the surface, it may look like overeating. It may be like, oh, you know, you're like, it's not a serious problem. But it really speaks to a dissatisfaction with kind of being by myself. Like, I find myself um, at night, late at night sometimes, like, really not liking 
where I'm at physically, uh, and, and eating doesn't help that. And so for me, like, I think this passage speaks to me about um, how like, this overeating gluttony sin comes in um, and who it ends up affecting, right? It, if, if my health gets bad enough, like, I could end up hospitalized, and that's going to affect you know, my family uh, and my friends. And so, um, yeah, that's the uh, personal side of this. And so to end things, because it's, it's going on a little bit, um, we are going to end on a good note. So the next slide is how should we respond? So thankfully, um, David doesn't die on account of his sin, uh, but we have three more relationships to quickly look at. So first relationship is David and Nathan. Um, Nathan, I, as I was preparing for this message, I was trying to like look at who Nathan was in David's life. And it turns out like he's just this guy that pops up out of nowhere every now and again and like tells David like, oh, like this is the message from the Lord, like listen to me, or like this is what God wants to say to you. And, and then he, like, just disappears, right? Like, in, in one of the verses, it's like, he finishes telling the story to David. Oh, oh yeah, the story. The story's so good. Uh, it's so bad for David, but so good. Um, so he tells David this story about there's a rich man with lots of lambs, and there's a poor man with only one lamb that he took care of. He basically, like, sleeps in the same room as his lamb. He feeds it. He loves this lamb. And the rich man had a guest coming over, but he didn't want to take one of his very many sheep uh, and kill it for his guest. So he takes the sheep of the poor man, and kills it for the banquet. And so David hears this story from Nathan. And if I were David, I'd be like, why are you telling me a story? But David responds kind of violently, right? He, he still has this sense of justice. And he says, like, this man should be killed, right? And he should repay the poor man fourfold. And then Nathan comes in with the sick burn, and he's like, you are that man. And then David's just like, oh, I felt that one. Um, and so David says, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan tells him, like, you know, like, God, you are not going to die. But, you know, God's definitely, like, this is evil in the sight of the Lord, is what he says. And your son is going to die, right? And so um, Nathan is the kind of person that comes in, right? Sometimes we can't respond to our own sin because we're so deep into it. But Nathan is the guy that comes out of nowhere that kind of convicts us, right? Nathan is the point of conviction in this kind of sin cycle. And I think that for some of us, you know, we, 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 we would prefer to have someone close to us tell us, right? Like, if I had someone close to me say, like, hey, like, I'm worried about your health. Like, you should, you know, take care of, like, what you eat and stuff. That would be better than, like, some random, like, Chinese person in, like, the grocery store saying, like, oh, wow, like, you're really, like, out of shape. You know, that, that would, like, feel really bad. But sometimes, like, that's the conviction that, kind of needs to happen, and, and God sends David, I mean, he sends Nathan to do this for David, right? Um, and so that's the conviction part. When we, the conviction is what gets us to respond appropriately, and so David repents. The next one is David and Solomon, and so Solomon is the son afterward, right? The first son of Bathsheba, is, like, goes unnamed, um, and while David is mourning. Um, he, he comes before the Lord. He's humble. He cries. He fasts, right? And in all of this, uh, I think that he returns to the presence of the Lord, right? He's willing to confess his sin. And next week, uh, Mark's going to be talking about uh, kind of this space of what happens in Psalm 51. But uh, for now, it's good enough to say that David spent a lot of that time uh, in the mourning process uh, for his first son, just being before the Lord. He realizes finally that he's departed from the ways that he should walk, 
that he needs to return to how um, God expects him to live, right? And so he does this really strange thing, right? The son dies, and then David, like the servants are expecting him like to basically maybe kill himself, right? Because they're like, oh my gosh, like he's in shambles right now um, before the son dies. But after the son dies, he's probably going to be way worse off. And David gets up, he washes himself, he worships, and he asks the servants to make him some food, right? And they're shocked. They're like, what is going on? This is not what we were expecting. And I think it's because of, of Solomon, right? Solomon is the redemption character. Uh, sometimes, like, we enter into these spaces of deep, deep sin, and we don't know how we're going to come out because it's not up to us how we're going to come out. Like, we can't forge a path through on our own willpower, right? But Solomon, uh, David, he mourns, and then he does all the, he cleans himself, he worships, and he eats. And then he goes to Bathsheba and comforts her, and then eventually they have Solomon, right? And the Bible says uh, that God told Nathan to call Solomon Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. And so we see a redemptive story in the life of Solomon. And it's not to say that the Bible is saying, oh, like in cases where you lose a child, in cases where like a child dies in your family, just have another child and it'll be okay. Like that's entirely missing the point. Um, the response or what's going on here is that with the first son, God is able to bring David back into relationship with himself. Um, obviously, you know, on the surface, it looks like a really harsh tactic or a really harsh approach to it. But at the end of the day, like David's response shows us that he, he knows that this is the right way to go about it. He knows that once the child is dead, um, the thing that's going to keep lifting him up is his relationship with God, right? And so that's our last relationship. It's David and God. Um, in our sin, I think a lot of times, uh, we haven't really walked that far from Eden. Uh, we still hide when we sin, and oftentimes when we hide our sin, it makes it worse, right? And I think this morning, as I try to wrap up, uh, we need to see that our sin is serious. I know that every morning uh, we walk through those doors and we see like the nice sign, like for imperfect people only, right? I think, like, it's, it's nice, it's, it's hip, right? It sounds really nice, it's inviting. It's on, like, a little wooden thing. It might be painted now. Um, but it, it kind of removes any expectation to come in kind of prepped, right? Like, we don't really worry about, like, I couldn't wear this at, like, my old church, really. Um, but, you know, I'm able to here. Uh, but I also want to challenge that phrase for imperfect people only. I think that I love that phrase. Like, I'm not knocking it. Like, Wilson, I'm not knocking it. Um, I think it's, it's amazing. But I think that God's desire for us is also to not remain imperfect, right? Uh, if God's desire for us was to just wrestle with sin, wrestle with sin, and then, uh, you know, just it, you lose, right? That would that, that, be terrible. But instead, he gives David a redemptive story, right? And God's desire for us is the same. His design for us, um, for our lives, is that we would overcome and be victorious and reign with him, right? He's the king of kings and lord of lords, and we're made in that image, and we need to take care of that. Um, he sees what David did, and he doesn't give him a pass for it because he loves him, right? It says that what David did was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so as we finish our kind of heavy message on, on sin and thinking about sin and maybe hopefully self-reflecting, uh, we need to see that God's not content to just let us stay in sin. 
He's not interested in allowing us to love our imperfection. Uh, he wants us to live into his perfect life, right? He gives us this life for us to hold. And so um, with David and with us, he wants to bring us back. He wants us to come back to him in the thick of it. And I've been meeting with a brother uh, at this church pretty regularly, uh, on and off. It's, it's pretty good. Um, and we've committed to read, together, uh, to read through Hebrews together and also share about life together. And something that's come up in all of our discussion is it's easy to label someone else's sin, uh, but it's far harder to walk with them through that sin. And I think that in David's life, he does get people who walk with him through it, even though it's a little like, less than ideal. He gets Nathan, who just blasts him with a story, and you know, he gets these kind of like servants that are with him through it. But uh, for us, like, I just want to ask this morning, are we able to do the hard thing of walking with people through sin? I know that a lot of you have been longer have been here longer than I have. Um, but I, I hope that we're able to, even this morning, just find one or two people and just go to them and say, hey, like, I would like to be in deeper relationship with you. I want for us to live as imperfect people, to have the space and the safety to be able to share our sin, uh, but to walk together in this sanctification that God's calling us to. Um, we need to be humble like David was and to receive the conviction not the condemnation for our brothers and sisters. And uh, we need to, as a church, um, value this relationship with God. This morning, uh, I think a lot of us, we've got a lot of work to do. Uh, we do need to get deeper with each other. We do need to be more honest. And I think that one or two people, we just need to find one or two to take a risk on. Uh, it's not gonna be super comfortable at first. You're not gonna really know like who goes first, like who's gonna be more transparent or more real first. But someone's gotta take the step. and. As a church, if we're able to walk in the light as he is in the light, uh, we're going to have fellowship with him, and we're going to have fellowship with one another. And so as we, as we finish this message on David's sin, uh, there are a few hopes that I have, and this is like my last chance to tell you guys, because I, I won't be here for much longer. Uh, but I hope to return, and when I return, I hope to see three things. Um, I hope to see greater holiness. I hope to see... Not the kind that makes others feel judged, that makes others feel like lesser people, but the kind that inspires each person to live the life that God's placed in us. I hope to see greater righteousness, not the kind that, we, that makes us measure people against laws or rules or are you reading your Bible, have you read the Bible all the way through, but the kind of righteousness that encourages others to look inside and see that this is the nature of the life that God's put in me. Christ didn't die for us to continue on in sin. Christ died for us that, so that we could reach a state of perfection uh, by living in relationship with him. And last but not least, I hope that we see uh, greater love in our church. Uh, I hope we see a love that doesn't allow us to idly stand by when our brothers or sisters are engaging in self-destructive behavior. But I hope we see a love that, that reaches people, a love that reaches out, a love that is fine with being uncomfortable because we want for our brothers and sisters uh, to be in relationship with the Lord. Um, Jesus didn't come and die for us to just watch our brothers and sisters kill themselves uh, in their sin. Um, Jesus died because he was going to resurrect and he was going to put this life in us so that we could live overcoming lives as well. And so I know a lot of times we like to say like we're sinners saved by grace. But this morning, I hope we shift it. I hope we learn to be saints who sin and come before the Lord, uh, repenting and worshiping as David did, 
and learning how to extend grace to others and invite them to a place of grace. Um, David didn't have the chronological blessing that we had of being um, after Jesus and seeing Jesus die on the cross for him, but we do. We have that blessing. And so this morning, I hope that as we're talking about sin, it's this really uncomfortable subject, we see the, in the extreme discomfort of Jesus on the cross and that we strive to become people of grace, people who don't sin and hide their sin, but people who are comfortable with coming before God with their sin and trusting that there's deliverance and there's forgiveness for us as well. Um, this morning, I hope that we see from David's life that more precious than our relationships with our friends, more precious than our relationship, uh, more precious than our careers, uh, more precious than our public image, uh, it should be our relationship with the Lord. So let's value and nourish the life that he's placed in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I just want to pray for your church. I pray for all of us that even as we're sitting here this morning thinking about maybe the sins that we've committed, maybe the sins that we've hid, um, Lord, I just want us to bring all of that before you. Um, you've given us brothers and sisters who hopefully have hearts willing to walk with us through these things. And so I pray that this morning we'd be challenged to, to find those brothers and sisters and to begin to live deeper lives with you. Um, we thank you so much for David and for his example and for the mercy that you still showed him despite his sin, Lord. Thank you for loving us and thank you for being our Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.